Welcome to the Fierce Joy Podcast. I'm Anastasia, a holistic health coach, yoga instructor, entrepreneur, and a mother to far too many children. Life is too short to feel overwhelmed by too many things and too many people pulling you in too many directions. This is a space to have honest conversations with women and about life so that you can lead with strength, freedom, and joy and go out into the world and do all the amazing things that you're here to do without losing your mind. Oh, and have some friggin' fun along the way. This is it. This is your life. Hello and welcome. Today I am very excited to have Casey with me today. And Casey is a Twin Cities eating disorder professional with five years of experience in acute eating disorder treatment and care. She is also in recovery from her own disorder, which was a five-year journey. And as a mom of one, soon to be two, her passion in life is being a resource for those struggling with food, weight, body image, as well as promoting self-love and compassion at any size. So thank you for being here today. Hi, thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> I know, it's kind of like a funny topic to be like, yay, we're here to talk about eating disorders. <laughs> but as I joke slightly about it, I think I was really excited to talk to you because I, I think this is just such an important topic to have out in the open and as a part of these holistic health conversations for women and men. Um, about eating disordered and disordered eating because it's just not talked about enough. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I would I think like a great place to start, which I didn't prep you for this, but is Dead. there's these terms out there and there's eating disordered, eating disorders and disordered eating. And those are two, from my understanding, slightly different things. So what are the differences of those two things? Good question, um, and and a good and a big gray area. Um, yeah. So, um, and and I don't think that there is necessarily because disordered eating is not like a, it's not an actual diagnosis, right? So you're not going to go to your medical professional and they're not going to diagnose you with disordered eating. So disordered eating is kind of this large realm of um, when eating is not something that comes natural. Like our our human bodies are made to just Eat. We eat when we're hungry. We stop eating when we're full. Um, we eat what sounds good, um, and so kind of that's the way we're supposed to operate. Disordered eating is um, can encompass a lot of things. So that can be um, when you do have this preoccupation with what you're going to eat and when you're going to eat it and all of those sorts of things, um, but it hasn't necessarily reached a diagnosable eating disorder um, for whatever reason, um, or you haven't formally been diagnosed with an eating disorder. So you may have an eating disorder that's not diagnosed and therefore it's kind of technically still disordered eating. Um, disordered eating can also be things that are uh, like you like to dip your fries in a Wendy's Frosty. <laughs> like that's weird. That's not, well, I guess I consider that normal, but um, disordered eating can also be kind of, you know, we all have our strange little things that we like to eat and do. And, and that is not necessarily unhealthy or um, problematic in and of itself, but that would kind of be in disordered eating. Eating disorders are an actual diagnosis. So um, there are many different eating disorders, many different subtypes of eating disorders. Um, and that is when you're going to a medical professional and they are diagnosing you um, with because you meet the criteria for an eating disorder, whether that be anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, um, you've got um, other specified feeding and eating disorders, um, you've got avoidant and restrictive food intake disorder. So you kind of have this whole big realm. Um, but an eating disorder is really a preoccupation with weight, shape, and food. Um, and, and it's when it um, starts inhibiting your life, whether that be health-wise or whether that be socially functioning, um, you know, mental health-wise, all of those pieces kind of come together and then you have the diagnosis of an eating disorder. So in conclusion, disordered eating, kind of just this, we say this when we don't really have an official diagnosis, we don't really know, um, or if we're just kind of talking about weird habits that we have. Well, and I think like many things these are all on a giant spectrum. And I think when it gets to be a gray area is when you kind of might have, you're like, maybe something's not quite right. Or I feel like this is taking up a little bit too much mental space or space in my life. But 
it's not like the horror stories you've heard or you're not, I mean, here's the other thing. You're not a 16 year old girl because that's the epitome of an eating disorder is these young women, which that's a whole nother conversation that um, is, you know, the effect that these yep. have on men. But, you know, this isn't just something that is adolescent youth and young women. This is adults and all, I mean, it it's Everyone. genderless, it's, you know, classist, it's, it affects yep. everyone. And so yep. I think it can be confusing when you're a full grown adult and functioning in life, but it takes up, it can take up weight and space and you're kind of, you don't fit the stereotype. Yes. We, you know, currently where I work, um, we see a lot of clients that come in that, um, that can't believe that they have an eating disorder, that they're diagnosed with an eating disorder, or it took them years and years to, to actually come to get help because they're not your 16 year old white cisgender female. Um, and so I think it gets really hard. Like you said, when you're a mom and you're a wife and you're, um, you have a full-time job and you seem to be excel, you know, excelling, um, in all other areas. And so it's like, well, how can I really, I don't have an eating disorder. It's not, you know, I'm not an unhealthy weight. I'm not, you know, X, Y, or Z of what we typically see with eating disorders. And I think that's one of the biggest myths of eating disorders is that you have to be underweight or you have to be overweight to have an eating disorder. Um, and that is simply not the case. Every single person's body is different. And so an eating disorder might present at a person that is a completely what we would consider normal average weight. Um, which again, is it a construct in and of itself that we could go on for days. Um, but I think that is one of the biggest myths is um, I, I, I don't have, I don't have a weight problem or, um, I think the other thing is, um, a lot of times with eating disorder, um, clients, we see per that perfectionism, they tend to go kind of hand in hand. And so, um, you may be functioning high functioning, um, typically, um, kids that have eating disorders are getting straight A's in school. They are parents of three, four kids. They have full-time, um, pretty prolific jobs, um, and yet they are spending all of their time and, and brain energy thinking about food, weight, and shape. And so, um, so you can be a high functioning person with an eating disorder. When I think that's like, if you're curious about this conversation, I think it's, that's usually the first nudge of maybe you don't have, you don't want to label it, but if you're just ever like wondering or curious, that's the time to explore it and get and get help or right. or explore the different modalities of healing around that. Because usually that nudge, that little voice that like, is, is this normal? And whether you want to call it normal or not, if it's taking up that weight and space in your life, like that, that's what I think of when I think, when I hear the word weight, it's not the physical weight, it's that weight on your shoulders. Yep. It's the exhaustion of thinking and planning. And with my own eating disorder, like I just remember any functions with a buffet, it was a fucking nightmare of mental prep. Like I'm exhausted before I even get there. Then I eat more than I was supposed to. Then everyone's watching me, even though they're not. And then it was like, it became like the, the roller coaster of time and energy that it took for Everyone else just seemed to be enjoying the function, whereas I was all up and I, I wasn't even there. I missed the whole thing because all I was focused on was the food and my perception and my body and blah, 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 blah. I mean, yeah. so if you have that inkling, it's like that's the time to explore and see what other tools and resources are out there. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I think the other kind of fear of getting help or, or, or what have you is I'm going to get this diagnosis and then I'm going to need all of this treatment. And it's going to be kind of this big, big deal. And, and quite honestly, a lot of times they'll go in for an assessment uh, and they'll say, yep, you, you know, are diagnosed with X, Y, or Z and let's start outpatient therapy. And you're seeing somebody once a week and you're seeing a dietitian once a week and, and you're just kind of getting on track. And so it's not always like, oh, if I go get this diagnosis, then I have this, this huge kind of thing in front of me that I have to tackle. Really a lot of times it's just here, let's, let's find you an appropriate therapist. Let's find you a dietitian that can kind of help with these things. And it's not this big, scary, um, time investment. It's more of like, here, we can help. And it doesn't have to be big and scary. Well, and I think, um, I guess I'm talking just from my experience with clients and my own experience, but I think too, it feels very lonely and like, you're the only one struggling with it. And so for me, it was pretty profound to read. I think it was like the binge eating disorder, like treatment diagnosis like the t the eight things like check the box or whatever and it was mm -hmm. like I had seven of eight 
And so it was, it, it just felt so freeing because I, like, I literally as an adult thought it was me. And so some of these things are, you're not alone. This isn't, you are unique, but you're not, you're just not alone is the big thing. And it feels so lonely. The nature of eating disorders is that they are isolative, right? They, they, they find their strength and their voice and their power because they keep you isolated from social events, from people. Um, they, bring a lot of guilt and shame. So I don't want people to know what I'm doing. And so therefore they continue to isolate you. And when you are isolated and you are, um, your brain is not functioning because it doesn't have the nutrition that it needs. You are then thinking only about food and then thinking I am alone because you, you are alone. You've isolated yourself. Um, and so that is the nature of an eating disorder. Um, it's why I'm in this field too. I, I had my own eating disorder. And I think some of the most profound, um, steps in my recovery was meeting and seeing and talking to people that came out of it. Because when you're stuck in the middle of your eating disorder, you're like, I don't know that I will ever be okay. I don't know that I will ever go to a buffet and just enjoy myself and not feel guilty, not feel panic, not feel anxious. Um, Maybe I can control myself or maybe I can pseudo be normal, but I will never just walk in and feel fine. And then you get to that point where you feel fine and you meet people that say you can feel fine and you can have a normal relationship with food. And every, every day, every week, every month doesn't have to be a stress about what you weigh and what you're eating. Um, and I needed that in my life. Um, and so that's kind of the circle back to this field of you can do this. It can be done. You're not alone. You're not the only one. Um, and it feels really dark and hard when you're stuck in it. And then you see people that have gotten out of it and and you can be that person too, You, you know? It's, it's, um, it's such a hard, hard place to be. And I see so many clients every day that just feel like I will never be back to normal. And if there's one thing I can tell them, it is, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but every, everybody's recovery is different and it's not always linear and, and that's hard. I mean, it took me five years of in and out of treatments and, and, um, struggling with kind of different diagnoses and things like that to finally find that freedom. And so remembering it's, it's not linear is, is a huge reminder too. And I think, I love kind of what you said as far as sometimes it can take some time to find the right treatment center or the right therapist or the right diagnosis or the right massage therapist or the right for like it it takes time and it will even change based on where you are in your life Mm -hmm. of what works for you because I remember going to an outpatient meeting and it was a bunch of really young teenagers and they were all so so sick and and I was like this is not the right group for me for my like it it almost made me sicker because they Mm -hmm. were all so sick and I and and it had nothing to do with them or the group but I was like wow this is actually not working for me in fact it's making my eating more (laughs) disordered Mm -hmm. because I wanted to like straight up I was like I I had like disordered eating um jealousy like it was sexier to be anorexic so I was like why can't I be anorexic like those people which is so ridiculous to say but it's exactly what I thought and so I think too it's not you that's broken and it's not the group that's broken you might just not have found the right space yet so if you don't have the hope to keep looking find a partner who can help you and be your friend and guide to keep searching because there's there's so many resources out there Yes. It's not you that's broken. <laughs> yes. I, I think, I think that is, I mean, you, you, you nailed it on the head. I mean, there are so many ages and groups and types of eating disorders that it's, it's such a, um, like, I hate saying one size fits all, but it's not one size fits all, you know, very literally and figuratively, there is not going to be one treatment. And, um, you know, luckily in the twin cities, we have, we have multiple eating disorder treatment, um, centers, two very prolific ones. And I think, um, for Twin Cities residents, especially, there is so many resources available and so many different, if this doesn't work, try something else. Um, but luckily for the Twin Cities, we have fantastic resources. So I would love to hear if you are open to sharing it just yeah. a little bit about your healing journey, you know, like when you sort of um, started it and how it's progressed and kind of where you're at now, because like you said, I think it can be helpful to hear other people's experiences and kind of what the path that they took. Yeah. Um, my eating disorder started in your very typical, you know, I was a 19 year old, uh, well, I guess 18 at the time, uh, 
uh, going to college freshman year. And I feel like it is very common that we see clients that freshman year of college, that big transition happens and things happen. Um, and it just wasn't, college was not what I thought, what I had expected. And so um, January came around and as our culture does, and as our society does, we make New Year's resolutions to get fit and get healthy and um, lose weight. So um, I was gonna lose the freshman 15, another lovely uh, cultural norm we have. Um, and I had two college classes that were requirements. One was health and nutrition that taught me all about how to count calories, what food was bad, what food was good, how much I had to exercise. So I was getting really great education about that. Um, and then I also had a class called walk, jog, run. So I was also having to exercise consistently, um, both required classes. So um, it was kind of the perfect storm of, I was feeling really not confident. Um, I had a roommate who was fitting in nicely and looked a very certain way. And I just felt like I needed to be a different person. I needed to somehow fit in. Um, and so as I started doing all of these things, um, I couldn't stop. And so the restricting got more severe, the exercising got more rigid um, and compulsive and I, I couldn't stop. And I was also getting attention. Casey, you look really good. Oh, Casey, you're losing weight. Oh my gosh, Casey. Wow. You look, you know, fantastic. Well, you're not going to stop doing something when all of a sudden you're getting attention for how you look. Um, and so it, it, it was a very quick decline. I, I lost a lot of weight in a very short period of time. I had some dear friends who uh, staged somewhat of an intervention with me um, and my parents, and I got into inpatient treatment. I remember going to my intake thinking, oh, they're just going to tell me I need to go to outpatient. It's no big deal. And they were like, you're not okay. You know, you got to go to the hospital. And so um, from there, I really spent five years figuring out what um, freedom from food looked like. Um, what started as something kind of innocent and I didn't understand what I was getting into and this eating disorder um, really turned into my relationship with food and how that looks. And I spent time, um, so I was originally diagnosed with anorexia. Um, I then, you know, kind of morphed into a binge eating, um, a bulimia binge purge cycle. There was um, abuse of alcohol during that time. It was really just anything um, I could do to kind of Feel like I had control over food and I never had control over food. Um, and I, you know, I tried to be gluten-free or I tried to do this and none of these things are inherently bad, but it was reaching and grasping for anything that I could. And I think it all came down to that control piece. I want to have control over what I'm eating um, and what my body looks like and what my shape looks like. And um, none of that is sustainable. Um, I tried to have, um, kind of a pseudo eating disorder, you know, they give you a goal weight range. And of course you don't agree with that goal weight range because it's scary. And so I thought, well, if I just have this weight, I can maintain at this weight that I'm comfortable with. So I can sort of have an eating disorder, but I can sort of be in recovery and there's no way to do that either. Um, and I had a therapist that I had worked with for a, a long time and I really trusted her. I had built really good rapport with her and she kind of looked at me about five years in and said, I can't do this anymore this is not a healthy relationship. You have one foot in and one foot out. And um, I worry about you when I'm not seeing you when you, you know, go MIA and I don't know where you are and I worry about you and it's not healthy for me. And clearly it's not helping you. So unless you're ready to do this and do this the right way, we're not doing this. Um, and that, that really, for me, I didn't want to lose this person that I knew had faith in me and that I knew could help me. And so I said, um, I'm going to, I'm just going to go for it. Um, and I, I tell my clients this often, but I always say like, what if you just tried recovery for six months or a year? What if you just tried being at this weight for a year? And what if you found yourself happy? Um, and if you didn't, you can always go back. You know how to, you know how to have an eating disorder really well. Um, and so that was kind of my, my mindset. I'm just going to try this for a year. Um, and I did the work and it was really hard. And I um, eventually found that I woke up and I, the first thing I thought about was not food, was not what I'm eating. Um, I finally went out to dinner and didn't, you know, scour the menu for what seemed to be the lowest calorie food. Um, I didn't look menus up ahead of time to, to, to look at the calories online. I finally um, stopped avoiding situations that were scary because the more that you do these things, the more that you, and I, I had great support. My mom pushed me and, you know, um, 
fear foods and things like that. But the more that you, the more that you do these things, the less the anxiety and the fear is. And that's with anything that you do in life. Um, and so the more you kind of face those fears head on, the more that you realize you're going to be okay. Um, and I got to my goal weight, which is, I, I don't even know what my weight is now. I don't own a scale. Um, but there's kind of that set point and my dietitians and my therapists always talk about your body wants to be at a certain weight and it's going to, it's going to fight really hard to be at that weight. Um, and I never trusted them. And then when I finally did and just kind of worked on intuitive eating, my body has a set weight and it does want to be somewhere. And when you embrace that, that's when you can think clearly and you can kind of find that freedom because you are able to listen to your body. So that's kind of my five years in a nutshell. (laughs) I I, I mean, (laughs) I I just like, thank you for sharing, first of all. And there was only about 15 things that I was like, (laughs) yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Um, And I think at the very beginning, like one of the things you said was I needed to be someone else. And I think that is whether it's food or alcohol or sex or sleep or Netflix or we have this culture of checking out. And when you boil it down, like a lot of times it has to do with try, like I don't want to be with who I am. Yep. And that's that's what we're learning to do as is connect to that inner wisdom. Like you were talking about your body kind of has a natural place it wants to be. So sure you can fight it and do all these things, but it's going to kind of, when you listen to it and you connect to it, like it's really wise and women are really Mm -hmm. taught to distrust their body, to distrust taking up space, to distrust, like we're not taught to connect to that. And the more I lean into it and coach clients with it too, it's like, it's so wise. It's so like, we don't need to escape ourselves. We don't need to buy anything else. We don't need to be someone else. It's more of this unlearning that has to happen. And, um, oh my gosh, there were so many things, so many things. So now of course I can think of none of them, but I, I mean, and too, it's, it is, it's, I don't know. It just is that unlearning. But I also love too that you brought up, you sort of had like that half disordered eating, yes. which is really just disordered because I think now we also live in this diet culture of healthy disordered eating. Like I'm a paleo, raw, vegan, um, like we have to label it all. And then macros are, and again, not that any of those are innately bad. Some people need like this box or package, but it's like now it's almost, it, yeah. This opposite of it is like yes. this disordered eating that's normalized over all this stuff, which just kind of cracks me up. Yes, we, there is not, I am waiting for when they officially make orthorexia a diagnosis, but orthorexia is that, um, that obsession and rigidity around eating only healthy foods, which is, you know, we typically see clients that are, will only eat vegan or raw or paleo. And again, innately, none of these things are bad. Um, but the rigidity and compulsiveness of having to only have those, um, can become an obsession too. And so is what our culture say that's an eating disorder. Absolutely not. That's just, you know, following the trends. Um, but I absolutely think it is because it does inhibit your life. Um, are you able to go to a restaurant? Are you able to attend a party and just eat what's there? I don't know. And is that, is that inhibiting your quality of life? So, and I, and I think, um, I never know, like I'm, I feel like I'm still searching for the right words and words trigger people. And so trying to be respectful of that, but, um, you know, there's like these resets and cleanses and again, none of these are innately bad or gluten-free or things like that. But I think that gets back to that, that same thing of, it's, I, you know, I think like there's mindful eating and intuitive eating. And those are the two terms that for me tend to really resonate about connecting to your own body and being present. Yes. And I think it's different for every, it's different for every person. For me, you know, I wanted to jump on a few of the, you know, trendy things. And I, and, and then what I realized as I continued in my recovery is that those things just aren't going to work for me. I don't do well having rules and regulations around food. And so I can't, I'm lucky in that my, my body is fine with whatever I eat. Um, but I found for myself, like, that's not going to work for me. And so I live my mantra for food and really life, but, um, is everything in moderation. 
And I, you know, I talked to my daughter too. Um, she's almost five and she will say like, is dessert good for you, mom? Like, you know, and I heard at school, dessert's not healthy. It, to me, it's, I, I talked to her everything in moderation. Like if, if you only ate Oreos every day, would do you think that would be good for you? No. You only ate broccoli every day. Would that be good for you? No. So everything in moderation, I can have anything that I want. And again, I don't limit myself, but if I'm eating everything in moderation, there isn't a moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to eat a, a gallon of ice cream or, oh my gosh, I just want to go get fast food because none of that that's limits. I've never, I've never not had that. I've not restricted myself from having that. It doesn't feel like an indulgence. I don't, I don't have indulgences. It's just, everything's in my house. You know, there's the, I don't keep that in my house because I'll eat the whole bag. Well, probably because you don't keep it in your house, you know? Well, and that's, um, that's what's so personal too of, I have found for me, there are a few trigger foods that I don't keep in my house. That right. doesn't mean I don't eat them. That doesn't mean I can't go get them. But for me, like this is where I think it's very fascinating. And I think it's okay that there are different solutions and to trust, like I don't need your solution and you don't need mine. And that's okay. That doesn't mean either of us yes. are doing it wrong. Yep. But I do have a few foods that it's like, for me, it becomes that I can't keep my eyes off of it. Whereas if I just go, oh, you know what I'd really like today? I'm going to go walk to the store and get this and I'm going to eat it and enjoy yes. it. And it's not very many, but I, I would be curious about for people with a eating disordered past, I do think it tends to be these, when you start to restrict, when you start to try and do a program, when you start yep. to label it, yep. it, it triggers that that restriction or that stress feeling maybe or stress response where it's like, uh-oh, something's wrong. And then it becomes hard to see clearly because of that, that past experience that you begin to hook into again. Yeah. And I think, I think you're so right. Like what works for me isn't going to work for you. And you're never alone. Everybody, everything that you are feeling, somebody else has felt and your eating disorder is extremely unique to you. And so I think those are kind of two things to hold space for of knowing you're not alone and literally everything you felt has been felt by someone else. And also you are your own person and um, you need your own set of, of things that work for you. So, yeah, I think, and that's what it is finding what works for you, finding, um, that mantra, if you will, of what you, um, what you can say to yourself to kind of in those moments of everything in moderation or, you know, food is not a moral choice is another one that I really love. Like we don't talk about good and bad food. Like food is not a moral choice. Food is not good or bad. Food is food. Um, and, so that's kind of another one that we, we do a lot in our house is food is food and we don't have to label it. It just is what it is. When I was, I, there's something about the term, um, I, I struggle because like with holistic health, people always come to me and they're like, let's have a diet plan or a meal plan. Or they have these words that trigger me, like not just me, a lot of people, but um, like for me, the word fuel and nourishment, like, cause I don't want to use diet. I don't want to use nutrition. Like food is fuel. Like the point of food is to literally move your body, get energy to your brain, but it's also nourishment. And so it's like that good meal with a friend or dipping your Oreos in peanut butter with your daughter and letting her have just a little bit of your coffee. Like it's that whole experience and playfulness of, of that. And it, so it just is, it, I just, it's like different for everybody, but to find those mantras that, that kind of inspire you and that you can hook into and give yourself permission that Casey's mantra or Anastasia's might not connect. And I love what you said about you're not alone and you are your own person, because I do think those two things are so true. And I think women, again, are taught to buy into a program, even in a healing program. I was reading this great book that I can't remember the name of about <laughs> AA. And I love what she said about you have to create your own healing journey. And so, and it's not about one thing. It's about all the things and it might change over time. Like it might be yoga and therapy and yes. massage and sauna and swimming and dancing and sex and connecting. I mean, it could be so, it's not just one thing. And so to create this wonderful environment for yourself that you have a big toolbox to use. Yeah. I... I think like one of the questions I remember asking more in um, like the recovery period is like, do you ever really recover from an eating disorder? Yeah. And I think that's such a fabulous question. In my opinion, yes. 
I would consider myself 100% recovered. Um, people often ask like, are you worried you're gonna relapse? Is it hard for you to work in the eating disorder field? Um, and yes, I think you can be, a I, I, I literally, I don't, I mean, I think innately because of the culture that we live in, you do think about what you look like, right? You're going to have those moments where you're like, oh, I don't feel great today. Or, oh, I feel fat today. And then you move on. And I think that's the difference between the preoccupation with you know, food, shape, and weight and just being a normal woman who is going through, you know, hormones and emotions and- And a bullshit culture of like, here's the one version of a person that you can be. Exactly. You know, the size you have to be and da 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 like inundated with it. Like, I love the like labels that are sinful. Or I said something for bubbly water that was like sin-free. And I was like, it's water. I know. I saw, I, I remember seeing the bubbly thing too. And I was like, yeah, what? So like egg- dessert eating and it's like guilt free and it's like it's oh why are we why are we associating guilt with food um but yeah so I you know I I don't have those moments and I don't stress I don't stress I don't wait I don't weigh myself I don't think I weighed myself this is my life hack that I think isn't a life hack anymore I think it's been shared enough but I so I'm not going to take credit but you don't have to be weighed at the doctor um you can decline to be weighed at the doctor um and I, I don't, I don't care. I'll be weighed at the doctor. Um, you can ask to stand backwards on the scale. Um, but I think that preoccupation with weight and we go to the doctor and they weigh us and then make some sort of, um, discussion about what we weigh as if that has any bearing on, on who we are. And if we are actually healthy is huge. Um, I know I'm getting a little tangent tangential here, but, um, I think, I think that is is kind of the other preoccupation that we have in the culture now of what do you weigh and what is your BMI and are you at a healthy BMI? Are you obese? Are you, you know, we have all these labels and and it's, I think it what is what perpetuates our preoccupation with all of this because we go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you, you know, you're, you're actually technically obese. Well, the BMI scale and, and it is completely it's not great. It was developed hundreds of years ago by like an astronomer, um, <laughs> like a relationship to gravity. Um, and I was just reading hunger, this book called Hun- hunger by Roxanne Gay, which is a fantastic book. Um, she talks about her eating patterns and, and kind of her journey through, um, recovery. Um, but in her book, she was reporting that they changed the BMI of, and, and the, the numbers like over 25 is obese. And the reason that they changed that is, um, because, it's easy for people to remember. So if you're 25 or over, you're obese. And really that's because then people can easily remember that. So we can basically say that BMI is not helpful. Um, Clients often will ask like, how do I know, like, how can I, like, how do I know if I'm healthy if I don't weigh myself? You know how you're treating your body, right? You know how you're treating your body. Are Are you fueling it? Are you feeding it? Are you hydrating it? Are you moving it? Are you happy? Because typically, if you feel happy and content, you are taking care of your body and the weight doesn't matter then. Um, And so I think kind of going back to how do I know I'm recovered? It's because I don't hinge my happiness. I don't hinge my life on anything to do with what I weigh. Um, Because I realize that when I'm happiest, that's when I'm taking care of myself. That's when I'm giving myself the self-care that I need. Um, And that's when my body is happiest too. And I think that's, I, I think that that for me was a, I took some unlearning of like, oh my gosh, I just ate the whole bag of chips. Well, now I have fallen back into my eating disorder. And then, or like I'm emotional eating. So therefore, is that what that means? Or I think about food and it's like, no, you have thousands of thoughts a day. Sometimes you just have a thought that's like, you know what I'd rather do is go get junk food. And you're like, because I'm stressed. What well, doesn't like that doesn't mean you've fallen back into your eating disorder. So I thought that was really interesting as like an intelligent adult where it was like, I overeat during COVID. Am I, am I relapsing? And you're like, no, you're, you're stressed and you overeat because you were stressed. And it's like, oh. And that's okay. an, an, and oh. an okay coping mechanism. Should, right. that be, should that be your only coping mechanism? Absolutely not. Is that a coping mechanism? Absolutely yes. Sometimes right. you eat to feel good. Yeah. Yes. Could that be the first thing you go to? No. Sometimes I eat because it feels good. Sometimes I take a nap because it feels good. Sometimes I do a puzzle. Like you've got different tools. Um, I, emotional eating can be a tool. Right. It, it works. 
And and I think it's um, like, again, when I work with clients, it's so I love when they come in and go, you know, I need more willpower and discipline. Mm-hmm. And I those terms just, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> they get me all riled up. But I think of it most practically that what people don't believe is what you just said. When I get good sleep, when I am nourished on so many levels, when I have human connection, when I do something I'm passionate about and excited about, when I'm present, it all just becomes a non-issue. Like I don't overeat because I don't need to think about it. I eat when I'm hungry. I don't measure anything. I don't like if I'm carrying a little extra weight, I can feel it kind of naturally fall off because I'm caring for myself. And it just like it feels different. And I don't need to convince myself to do something different. Like I had a weekend away with my partner and we ate out for every meal because we were in a hotel room. And about night three of barbecue, I was it was so good night one and so good night two. And night three, I was like, Can we just find a smoothie shop? Because I'm feeling heavy. Like nobody had Mm -hmm. to convince me of it. It was just my body's wisdom of like, that was enough pulled pork. (laughs) Is there ever enough pulled pork? But (laughs) there is. Apparently it's about night three. And then it's like, it's a little heavy and greasy. But I mean, it's not about the pork. Like it's just that connecting to your body. Nothing needed to be measured. Nothing needed to be. You didn't need to convince me. You didn't need to twist my arm. And I think when you're whether you have an eating disorder or you just have this mindset of you're stuck on counting calories or that you have to label it as something. So many women that blows their mind that they can trust their body, that they don't need to count something or weigh themselves. And that's unbelievable for me to hear again and again that that that's a unlearning or retraining or whatever word you'd like to use that yeah. so yeah. many of us have to do. I mean, the counting of the calories and the weighing yourself is just an endless cycle. It's an endless cycle. It will never end. You will never get to a weight and go, boom, I'm happy. I'm done. I can stay here. You will always be working to hit the next goal or you'll gain a pound back. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, now I got to go. You know, it's this never ending cycle that never ends in success, which is why we have eating disorders. Because if people could get to a certain weight and say, boom, I'm happy, but you get to a certain weight and you're still unhappy. Because you're still you. You're still you. (laughs) The only thing that changed was your weight, which changes nothing. Which didn't want to change in the first place. And so I Uh, I just, if I could, I mean, intuitive eating, trust your body. Your bodies are brilliant. They're brilliant. It is amazing what your body can do and how much it knows. Um, Working with clients who have deprived themselves for years and years, um, it is amazing what your body can do. And if you don't know how to do it, it's not that you're a bad person or broken or you need to be fixed. You just haven't practiced a different way or have a tool. Right. Or know any different. I mean, you grow up and, and, and your mom or your dad or your aunt or whoever it was that was always on a diet or that was always labeling food or that was always portioning your food or telling you you couldn't have seconds or dessert is bad, whatever it was, um, I, you know, I will say, and this is my mom plug of, I see so many clients that eating, their eating disorders stemmed from childhood. And I don't, you know, want to put that heavy weight on us as, as moms, but those kiddos are listening. Um, and so our relationship with food isn't just about us. It's about um, our kiddos too. And, and kind of understanding like it has an effect. And if we can fix our relationship with food, that serves to help you know, the next kids and, you know, the next generations and and to kind of unlearn and and train or, you know, untrain, whatever it is, um, because the kids are listening too. And then, you know, that's in their brain. And I think even more than listening, they're watching. Yeah. Because if I say to my daughter or my niece, like, everything in moderation and I love my body and then I get into the mirror and do like, ugh, like, the amount of times my kids mimic my breath patterns or like my son, I, I breathed heavily and he goes, what are you so mad about? And I was like, Oh, I mean, it, it's not even really about what we say. It's how we live and they're watching and they're learning and you just don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit of weight, but it also is the, I mean, it's the truth. We just, Mm -hmm. they're watching how we walk through this world. And if you're measuring yourself and weighing yourself and making sounds and grunting and looking in the mirror, they know exactly what's going on. Yep. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's just another another motivation to say, I got to fix this relationship with food, even if I don't think it's inhibiting my life, is it inhibiting my kid's life? Is, is, are they watching and seeing that and, and, and mirroring that? Um, and that's, that's super important for me too, um, even in recovery of just making sure like when I'm going to work out the other day, she was like, you're going to get strong, aren't you mom? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not working out because I'm trying to lose weight or because I feel like I have to, you like to get strong. Yeah, I do. I want to be strong. <laughs> Well, and I love like when my kids play with my stomach, right? Like I've had far too many children and all this stuff and it's like squishy and they get in there and they're like, it's so much squishier than dad's. And you're like, yeah, it is. Or like when you're pregnant or something and they're like, it's so big. And you're like, yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, it's just like, no judgment. Yeah. I don't, I just is like, I think it's that to me is so healing too, to be like, they have such genuine curiosity, like of, oh, it's squishy. Oh, it pulls. Like, why is it hanging so low? And you're just like, it just does. <laughs> you know, it's, I love their like straight up, like your butt's bigger than dad's. And you're like, yeah, it is. <laughs> that's, that's fine. All bodies. Are different. All bodies, all bodies. Right, and they're just all they have. It's so neutral for them and curious that it's so fun to see through their lens of like, you look really tired, mom. And you're like, yeah, because I am. It's all you woke me up you. at midnight. Yeah. I so I think there's that beauty of, I don't know, like my two-year-old blows spit kisses on my stomach and she gets like drools all over me. And it's like, she doesn't care the size of it. She doesn't care what size my pants are. She doesn't care the weight of it. You know, like, and if I'm like, oh, my stomach's out in public, who's going to see this? You know, I just missed, I missed my life. I missed this mm -hmm. moment. I missed this mm -hmm. connection. If I'm all up in my head and have to disassociate because I hate parts of myself. And I think that's the sad part is when you're, when you're missing it, you're not yeah. going to, like, I, I think if I went on a hike with my sister in Tahoe and I didn't have my swimsuit and there was a lake, it was like, I always want to be able to rip off my clothes and jump in no matter who's around is my goal. Yes. Like regardless of my weight, regardless of my size, regardless of if I'm strong and feel in shape, I just want to always be able to jump in. Because, and, and at the very core of it, telling clients and, and, my, and, and anyone this is what you weigh does not dictate any part of who you are. You know, you, you, you know, they're always like, yeah, well, I, you know, they, they kind of argue and I said, if you looked at me, are you thinking about what I weigh or are you thinking about who I am and what I'm talking to you about? Um, you're not, people are not looking at what you weigh. We all think if I go out in a swimsuit, I got to find the right swimsuit. Oh my gosh, I can't go to the beach with my kids because I don't, nobody's looking at you. Nobody's looking at you. They're, they, one, we're innately selfish. So we're usually thinking about ourselves, um, but people aren't looking at you. And there's so much more to be had in life than to worry about walking out and what people think of you. And so often, you know, I, I don't work with, you know, like eating disorders in the sense of I am not a therapist. I am not a trained professional in this area. But I think there's this idea that goes along with it for a lot of women is like, when I lose the weight, then dot, 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 dot. Like when I lose the weight, then I can do these things. And it's like, if you think of this future vision of yourself, who is that person? Okay, they're confident. They feel sexy. They jump into life. They, if you use the descriptive words, none of those are you weigh 137 pounds. And so it's interesting to think about the characteristics and the values and the traits of this hypothetical person that you're waiting to be. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's what you want to lean into is I want to feel good in my body. Okay. Well that happens now because if you can't do it now, it's not magically going to happen when you hit no. a, a, a mythical weight number. And, and like I said before, I can guarantee you, you will hit that weight number and you will still be looking for something else. So yes. The, the or you'll, You'll get there by gripping, you know, that like, I did it. And then the second you get there, you're like, I'm so tired. I can't do this. I mean, then you like swing way back. Yeah. It's like, well, great. You were there. It's not even about the weight, right? It's about that like restriction and the forcing it and the mm -hmm. deprivation. Like, good for you. You did it. And then you swing way back instead of yeah. just knowing what works for you. And you put yourself through this emotional roller coaster of, of, of losing all the weight and then, and then, and then hating yourself or beating up on yourself for getting it all back when really your body's just saying, I wanted it there in the first place. I wanted it there in the first place. Yes. My client wrote this, 
this note to herself the other day and it was just so profound because it was so simple and she it just it was a note from her body saying this wasn't weight you were supposed to lose in the first place she was telling herself that like I'm so scared of gaining weight and then she was like but this weight wasn't supposed to be gone in the first place and I think that's kind of the very core of it like your body doesn't need to lose weight in the first place why 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 are we telling it it needs to be different and I think there might be a time that on the, there are some people that, you know, they might need to literally aren't doing the things to care for their body. And that might mean that some weight might mean to be, be lost. But again, it's about caring for yourself. It's about right. nourishing and fueling your body. Yeah. And then your weight will find that beautiful place yeah. of this is where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what can be hard and and kind of get into that gray area of you're like, no, but really, I seriously am 30 pounds. Like I'm heavy. Yeah, I'm out of yeah. shape. But it's like, yep. well, that's you're trying to build strength. That's you're yes. trying to get better sleep. That's your stress to the max. That's, yes. you know, that's the weight is a symptom of how you're caring for yourself. That is often the common question of, but I actually do need to lose weight. Like I actually do. Again, if you are taking care of yourself, your body will find the weight. So trying to have an arbitrary 30 pounds because you were at this weight at some point, the weight you were at some point, likely 18, you know, in a process, <laughs> your body's going to change. Your body is going to hold weight in different places. So people get some arbitrary number in their head because at some point in their life, that was the weight they are. And it's like, well, that's not, nobody's meant to be 130 for 20 years. That's not the way our bodies work. And so I think we get so fixated on the number. This is the number that I need to be. Yeah. Well, and I think what I, so I did dozens of interviews with women and I did not expect to find this and I wasn't even hunting for it. Like that's not the point of these conversations I was having. And I was shocked to learn in this group of women of like 30 to 55 of how many of them had never liked their body, never trusted their body or felt embodied or integrated didn't like their body. I mean, I just was, it blew my mind how universal it was. It's okay. It's okay to hate your body in, in America. It's terrible. It's totally accepted to sit there and talk about how you don't like yourself, how you're eating too much, how you need to lose weight. That is totally acceptable. And that is what makes everything so much more difficult as you're fighting this battle against people saying there's nothing wrong with talking about diets and losing weight and you know being like there's nothing taboo about that and to me it should be Um, but that's why you don't like yourself because you've got all these people saying it's okay to sit here and say you don't like yourself and I think that's so true on every level not just with disordered eating you know like there's the jokes about like I have to escape my life and drink wine and you're like that's really not I'm not saying wine's good or bad what I'm like it's that's really not a very funny joke and I've used it and I just, I had one of those moments with a person I then realized was an alcoholic and, you know, you foot in your mouth and I was like, that's not funny. It's yeah. not funny to, to do that. And so it is funny, funny, haha, <laughs> not funny, but it is interesting. It's probably a better choice of words as you start to open your eyes and look for this more about how insidious it is and how it is just okay that, like you said, we hate ourselves. We talk about that. We pick ourselves apart, you know? And even as women, if I were to walk in and be like, oh, it's so nice to see you. How are you? Like, you know, I'm really feeling centered and grounded. I really did some great self-care today. And my partner and I had some really good boundaries and I had quality time with my kids, but then I really nourished my body and had a great burger with like, nobody says that. We say we're stressed, we're busy, we're overwhelmed. We joke about how there's not enough time for me and I'm falling apart. Ha ha. Like the joke's not funny. Right. And, and, and even commenting on people's weight, how is that a thing? You know, you walk in, oh my gosh, you look so good. Did you lose some weight? None of your business, you know, or, you know, we, we, we make judgments on people based on what we see about their weight, if it's changed, if they've lost weight, if they've lost weight, they must be doing well. You know, Adele lost all that weight or whoever the latest celebrity that lost all that weight. And we talk about their workout routine and all of these things. And it's like, do we know that she's actually happy? Does that mean she's happy? Does it make her a better person because she lost all that weight? But we just glorify it. Like losing weight is the be all end all of being a woman. And it just, it's inescapable. I, when I was pregnant, 
I get so sick that I lose weight. Um, and I thought it was always really interesting because it would be exactly what you just talked about. I would be throwing up multiple times a day. I'd have lo- I lost myself because this parasitic baby was eating me alive. Um, I was a shell of a human being. And I don't even say these lightly. Like it is 40 weeks of terrible. But my butt would be smaller and I, and people without fail, I would, they would say, how are you doing? And I'd say, I'm pretty miserable. I don't like being pregnant and I'm having a really hard time. And then they'd go, well, you look really, really good. And it always blew my mind of like, I don't even know how to respond. And it's people who love me and good, wonderful people. But that is the response. I'm struggling. I'm miserable. I don't feel good but I look okay. What? If you look a certain way, you must be okay. What is that? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Like I just, I always had that, like, like something's wrong with these statements, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess, do you, are there any questions that you wish I would have asked or something that I should have brought up that I did not? I don't think so. I think um, at the very, you know, end of the day, really what I, what my main message or when I talk to people is there are so many resources. There are so many resources. There are so many books. There are so many Instagram. I mean, just dipping your toe in the water, find some body positive Instagrams, you know, kind of start small, start somewhere, make that first step instead of I'll be okay. I can power through it. I'll be fine. I'll get to this weight. I'll lose this weight. I'll, you know, I'm really, it's not that bad, but minimizing and ignoring and thinking that there's somebody worse than you, um, is where you will find yourself however long down the road, miserable, unhealthy, unhappy. Um, so my thing is just dip your toe in the water. If you think there, if you even have an inkling, like you were saying at the beginning, just, just start to see what's out there and start to really take inventory of yourself. Find, um, and then, you know, find a therapist. And if you try a therapist and you don't like them, try another one. And if you try two and you don't like it, you might have to try three. Um, it's like finding a good hairstylist. It's a long and arduous road, but when you find that person, um, so I, I, I just like, I just want people to understand eating disorders are so prevalent. They do not discriminate any age, any race, any class. Um, and if you think there is someone in your life that may be struggling, don't ignore it. Because had people continued to ignore what was happening to me, I don't know where I would be. Um, but they're, as I said, they're isolative. Um, and so likely you're not going to reach out and ask for help. Um, eating disorders are the second most, um, they have the highest mortality rate, the second most why can't I don't have any words highest (laughs) highest mortality rate of any mental illness um so they're serious and it's you know we think oh I'm fine like I look fine I seem fine there's a lot of um things that can happen in your body that you can't even feel necessarily you you may but you may not um and there's a lot of damage that can happen to internal organs um so it's also something to take seriously to not brush off and say, oh, I'm sure I'm fine. Oh, I'm sure it's okay. Um, so just know like there's a lot of medical complications that can come from eating disorders. So I always try to um, underscore the severity of how of how they can get pretty severe. Um, so that's kind of my thing, get help. If you don't know if you need help, just kind of start feeling it out, navigate, you know, see what you can kind of find out and um, just, just take inventory and see what you think. Um, if you have a current therapist that doesn't specialize in eating disorders, talk to them about that, get a referral, talk to whatever, but, but kind of starting to, to get the help you need, um, and to talk about it because let me tell you more people struggle with eating than you would even know. Um, so that's kind of my, kind of my shtick. Well, and I, and I love that you said, like, if you have a current therapist, cause I think women sometimes are too smart for their own good and they're overeducated on some of these things that you can tell a really good story. And so, you know, maybe going into the dark corners a little bit and not yeah. telling a good story, but bringing up that concern or also just getting really curious, like maybe you don't have an eating disorder, but just noticing where like these, maybe you perpetuate these messages or if it's internal, like just be aware without judgment 
mm-hmm. of the dialogues you have with yourself or the way you're modeling for your children or other young people in your life of these conversations that we're having that make you go like, why does it say sinful on water? Or like, right. why did I have to say cheat when it came to eating this food? Yes. Or Because I think sometimes that awareness is then that opens up that door of, wow, I this really does take up a lot of space in my life that doesn't need to like, why am I spending all this energy on it? Why am I buying the light, the light dressing instead of the full fat dressing? What is, what is the, the perpetual thought of that? And right. maybe it's fine that I am. I don't know, but why? Yes. Just starting to see, just bringing awareness to those, those thought patterns and behaviors and things like that. You've talked a few times about resources. So as far as physical places, what are a couple resources to kind of reach out to or look into that you like? Yes. So um, for like your initial assessment, like I have no idea if I have an eating disorder. I don't know what kind of treatment I would need. I have no clue. Or maybe my kid too um, would be in the Twin Cities. So we've got the Emily program in Melrose Center are two major, um, really um, great um, facilities that do all levels of care. So you've got outpatient, you've got day programs, you've got residential, everything. Um, So the Emily program in Melrose Um, Both have great websites, both kind of like, do I have an eating disorder? You can click on it and take a little quiz. Um, Obviously not super scientific, but just to kind of get you going and they have great resources. So if they can't, if they don't have what you're looking for, they can refer you to, um, to other places. So I would say if that's just like, I just need to, I just need to have an assessment and see what's going on. Um, Otherwise, you know, I always like someone like you, someone like you is a great resource, but honestly, <laughs> kind of delving into someone like a, like a health coach to say, you know, someone that's not a dietitian, someone that's not weight watchers, someone that's not, um, you know, trying to, trying to sell you some sort of diet plan. Um, but someone that's just trying to help you look at how do you think about these things? Why do you think about these things? Do you feel like it's inhibiting you? Um, I really think kind of finding someone that can just walk through it with you and, and really delve into it. And someone that has knowledge of, of these types of things, I think is really helpful. Um, so I would say, you know, Melrose and the Emily program are two great resources just to get your foot in the door and find a referral for, if you need a whole team of therapists, psychiatrists, dietitian, because I do recommend if you have an eating disorder, you know, a diet, you end up, you have a diagnosed eating disorder. I think having a full team around you of um, a dietitian, a psychiatrist, a medical doctor, and a therapist will be super helpful to give you that help that you need. Um, if it's not, you know, if it's kind of this disordered eating, taking up space in my brain, um, like I said, a therapist or someone like a holistic health coach that can say, let's delve into that and kind of unpack that a little bit, I think is really helpful. And I think I'm always surprised that women don't like the word support often, but the truth is when you're creating change and trying to do something differently, And even just looking at my own journey, it's not like I found this one magic pill and that like my life, I did this one thing. No, it was a lot of things. And to give yourself permission to have support in lots of ways, like if yoga's, well, if we weren't in COVID, like go to yoga every day, see your Mm -hmm. therapist once a week, also hire the health coach who can do this. Make sure that your friends are supporting you in a way that brings you energy and doesn't suck it. Like be self-centered and selfish, mm-hmm. whether you have disordered eating or any, like, right. or just you're trying to like, you need to be more centered on yourself and take up space and give yourself permission to say no to everything else or as much as you can. And I mean, still take care of your kids and your family, blah, 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 but blah, blah, outsource blah. as much as you can so that, because it won't be this hard for forever. Right. But when you first start to create change in any way, it does take effort. You are shifting. You are rewiring your brain. So take up space, take up time, give yourself as many resources as you can, and you won't need them for forever. Yeah, I know. And I I mean, I always say, like, it didn't take you a month to get to the place that you are at. It is going to take you just as long to get out of the place that you are at. Because people come in and are like, I just, I, I want to be better. Well, you have, you've had this for two, three years it's not going to be, it's, it's work, it's hard work. Um, and so remembering like it's a constant everyday thing. But not for forever. But not if for you forever. do, if you do the work, that's kind of the funny thing too, is yeah. like when it's one foot in one foot out it, again, with whatever change, not even this, mm-hmm. it's like that drags out the process so yeah. much versus just like, I'm going to do this. Jump in. I'm going to commit. Do the hard work. And then, like I said, one day I woke up and I went, oh my gosh, 
it's not hard work anymore. It's no. intuitive. Right. Ah! Ah! It, I, and I think that is when you're, I love that you said that at the beginning because I think it's true. It feels lonely and it feels like it can never change. And then one day it does. And it's almost like that mythical point in time that you're not going to believe someone. Yep. And I can't even tell you when because it's different nope. for everyone. Mm -hmm. But where, like we started with, you can just go to the party. Mm -hmm. You can just eat food. Mm -hmm. It just is a th like, it's, it's not a thing. Just I know how to do. feed myself. My body knows what I need. Yes. Well, I like to end with just a series of questions. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Okay. Uh, the first is, what pisses you off? Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, unfortunately, my mom says everything. I need to be less. I need to hate less things. Um, <laughs> what pisses me off, not eating disorder wise, um, is ugh, people that drive slow in the left lane. I hate it. <laughs> Move on over. Move over. Move over. Don't tell anybody, but my partner totally does that when we're driving. And I'm like, "Move over. You're so slow." <laughs> Shh, don't He'll never listen this. And far. then when they get and then when they're like, then you can tell they're just like doing it because they're like, "I'm driving the speed limit, so I'm going to stay in this lane." Move over. Move over. Move over. Good. Uh, what brings you joy? Oh, so much brings me joy. I think, um, I think just being at home with my family, my honestly, from five 30, when I get home from work until about bedtime at seven 30, that two hours of having our meal together, playing a game, having a tub, reading books, like that two hours is like sacred. Um, and I think that's kind of my favorite. That's what brings me the most joy when I miss that, if I'm working late or whatever, I'm sad. <laughs> that's yeah. it. That's the two hours of connection that I just crave. Mm. What is a hard life lesson that you are learning or have had to learn? <sighs> I've learned a lot, a lot of hard, hard life lessons. Um, they've all been great. I think um, my hardest or what I'm always learning is patience. Um, I, I want things to happen when I want them to happen. Um, we are adopting as you, we've talked about a little, a little guy from India and, um, we're two years into the process and it's just that ever evolving, um, patience of, I want this to happen now. And I, why isn't it happening now? And why can't this happen now? Um, and remembering like it will happen when it needs to happen. And I need to stop waiting and, and in life in general, like I need to stop waiting for the next thing. I need to stop waiting for whatever I think is the next step in my career or the next you know, house that we're going to buy or whatever it is, like being here in this moment and, and having patience and just letting things unfold as they do. And I, I mean, adoption is like the ultimate test. So you just like dove into the deep end because pregnancy is its own risk and you don't know the end result. But fortunately, we live in a great place where for most of us, not all of us, it, we know the outcome. We know the date about. Yep. And adoption is just this, uh, <laughs> like, I don't even have words. Like, you are at the whim of everyone and everything. And international adoption is its whole other thing. So you're, I mean. Nobody seems to be in any sort of rush. And I'm like, come on, come on. Like, this is this is kind of a big deal. Could we? Oh. Yeah. That's my, my response of compassion and empathy to you is, you. oh. <laughs> That's, I think this is the one time where I maybe don't have to be so patient. Yeah, like, come on. But it's another country, and so. And it's a pandemic. And, and, and apparently there's a pandemic. What? What? <sighs> mm, that's, that's a lesson. That's a lesson. That's a, that's a lesson. But, oh, it's going to be so sweet when he's a part of our family. Yes. Yes. Mm. When was the last time you were proud of yourself? When I graduated in um, December with my master's, Woo thank you. I graduated. I, I took me 10 years to go back to school. I said, I'm never going back to school. I'm never doing it. And then I had a baby and was like, I'm going back to school. And then I finished it. And um, I'm really proud of myself. I was really proud of myself for doing that. And then I said, I would never go back to school. And now I'm already thinking about the PhD. So. <laughs> you know, the, uh, like the kiss of death is I will never. Like I it know, just is it, like, oh, it, should probably stop saying I that. I should probably stop saying that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, congratulations. That's a big accomplishment between motherhood and life and adopting and a job and, you know, just master's and now maybe a PhD, whatever. I don't know. We'll see what life brings. That's right. We're going to be here now, though. Yes. And as we're here now, we're going to say thank you. Oh, I forgot. Uh, Where can people find you or follow you if they're interested in connecting? Well, that's a good question. Um, Because... I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a business person. I don't have my own business page. Um, so if you want to find me, I don't know, you could find me on Facebook. There you go. But then you'd have to know how to spell my, you'd have to know how to spell my last name. Well, we'll see if I can do it right in the show notes. And if anyone wants to reach out to you, then they, then Then they they can find Casey Huskel. Huskel. Casey Huskel. And I am, I always say like, you know, for any friends, family, anyone that I come across, like, I, I'm not a therapist. I, for, for a reason, I don't want to be a therapist. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be in the room with the problem, you know, solving the problems. I want to be the resource. So I don't care who you are, where you come from, what you need. If you just need a a question answered or uh, somebody else's, you know, where do I go to get this? Like, I want to be the eating disorder resource for anyone that needs it. Can can we just talk about this? Who do you think I should call? What should I do? Um, that's what I want to be. I just, I want to be able to connect people with what they need. So Perfect. Well, we will make sure to spell your name correctly in the show notes so that <laughs> people can use you as a resource if they feel called to reach out to you. Yes. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me Thanks today. for having me. It was lovely. Thanks for listening to the Fierce Joy podcast. So now what? You have to take action. Nothing changes if you don't change something. Take one tiny insight and do something with it today, or even better, now. Make it easy, obvious, and of course, as enjoyable as possible. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I friggin' love this stuff. You can connect with me on Instagram at Anastasia Galka Health Coach or on my website at AnastasiaGalka.com. If you're feeling stuck or like it's time to make a change, I offer a totally free 30 minute coaching session to get you started. I'd love to hear from you. And hey, If you know someone that this episode would be helpful for, please make sure to share it with a friend and get the word out. Thanks for joining and see you next time.